Rochelle, you're pregnant. I don't know if you noticed. Did you guys notice? I've always wanted to say I got five kids to feed. I'm totally serious. I've always wanted to be able to say, hey, I got five kids to feed. Someone asked me to borrow money. I got five kids to feed. At the store, I think Trader Joe's or somewhere, would you like to donate a dollar? And I got five kids to feed. And she's like, oh. And I'm like, one's in the oven, but it'll be out in a minute. So I was 100% serious too. And then we were somewhere else and Larry said, do it again. Do the five kids to feed thing. Do it again. Do it. I dare you. I'm like, nah, come on. What am I, a puppet for your fun? What am I, a clown, Laris, for your amusement? So we are having another baby, though. Praise the Lord. Speaking of that, we have a dear brother and sister, um, Ed and Glenda Miller. Uh, they, their little precious Katia, their new baby, um, she's having a, a little health issues. And we were with them Friday night until like what, about 2 in the morning and praying over her and spending time with them. And they were doing some tests, afraid that there might have been some uh, neurological things. Her arms were not moving the way they should, and uh, one arm would kind of go limp and the other one. And and they found out that there was some infection in the shoulder, so it was not anything with the brain, thank God. And uh, and so, but they're ministering, or the docs are doing what they need to do to see some healing there. So pray for that. Uh, quick recovery for please keep them in prayer little Katia and the Millers and actually if you'd like to serve them somehow um, you know we're a community church if you want to maybe make their family a meal um, see Lori Nieves see Miss Lori she serves in our kids church area and she can help coordinate that so just let her know say hey we want to we want to make the the Millers a meal or maybe just want to bless them in some way Uh, amen So uh, we're just praying for quick recovery. Let's just do that right now. Lord, we just thank you for that precious little baby, Katia. We just speak wholeness, 100%, head to toe, total freedom. We rebuke ailment, sickness, bacteria, infection. We command it to leave in Jesus' name. And Father, we thank you that, Lord, as we minister our prayer and our faith, we're releasing life into that family, life and hope and peace over Ed and Glenda and the whole family, God, with them right now and quick recovery in Jesus name. Amen. Uh, so we're going to, uh, we're going to continue our series on courage and I'll probably still have you out in about 30 minutes. Um, cause I still want to watch football. I don't, you know, I'm not really mourning over the Broncos. No big deal. It's all good. Um, <laughs> oh God, I'm just kidding. I really, it's not that big of a deal. Um, So uh, we'll just do this for about 30 minutes. Have you been enjoying this series on courage? Today, we're going to be talking about breaking failure and overcoming failure. If you're in this place and you feel like maybe you you might not necessarily be failing or uh, stumbling over sin, but maybe something in the past has gripped your life and the way you think about yourself and the way you walk, the way you pray, the way you live your life. Sometimes we still live in failure. Sometimes we still look to the past thinking, I wish I was this way before this happened. And today I believe God is going to just break that thing of your life. Shame. We're going to talk about my most embarrassing moment of my life that happened to me when I was about seven years old. Um, some of you will find it funny, which it's, it's hilarious, but it's, it's actually 
interesting how sometimes we never overcome some of those shameful moments when we actually fall. And I want to I want to minister an encouraging word to you so you can rise up. Are you ready for that? I want to read Nehemiah chapter 2. Last week we read some of chapter 1 and a little bit of chapter 2. This week we're going to read three verses from chapter 2. Nehemiah 2, 17 through 20. Are you ready? says this, but now I said to them, you know, full well, the tragedy of our city, it lies in ruins and its gates are burned. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and rid ourselves of this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God has been on me and about my conversation with the King. They replied at once, good. Let us rebuild the wall so they began the good work. Say this with me. Say, let us rebuild the wall and rid ourselves of this disgrace. Say, the hand of God is graciously upon me. And I've had a conversation with the king. Verse 19 says, but when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing rebelling against the king like this, they asked. But Nehemiah replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start building this wall, but you have no stake or claim in Jerusalem. I I love what it says in the New King James in verse 20. It says, arise and build. It says, God will make us prosper, so let us arise and build. Let's pray together. And then go for it. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. Would you lift your hands with me again and just posture your heart to heaven. Lord, we open up 100% whatever you want to do. We thank you that by the spirit of God, and we thank you that through your word, your word lives and abides forever. And Father, we thank you the power of your word that transforms. We thank you. It's an incorruptible seed that we're born again by. It's a a seed that bears fruit. Your word will not return void. Now open your heart up like you would break up any fallow ground, like the soil ready to receive the seed of God's word. Open up your heart and just begin to pray out loud and say, Father, open up my heart. Just tell him with your own words. Say, God, I open up. I, I need to hear from you, God. I need to hear from you. Lord, I'm ready to hear your voice. I need to hear your voice. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So we open up, Lord. Your your words are spirit. Your words are spirit. The letter kill, kills, but the spirit gives life. Paul said, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. In other words, I'm not just going to read you a story and, and just read a few verses from the letter of God's word, but they become spirit and breath and they revive you. They give you life. Are you ready for life to be breathed into you? Say with me, say, I'm ready and I'm open in Jesus name. Amen. Now just give God one shout of praise. Come on. A big one though. Just do it for real. Come on. Hallelujah. Bless you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Douglas Haynes on the keyboard. Ladies and gentlemen, the keyboard player. Come on, somebody. That was your three moments of fame right there. Three seconds. 
So this morning, I want to do a real quick recap. How many of you here were last week? Raise up your hand high for it so I can see you. Okay, those of you that weren't, you, if you want to hear the message, you can go online, encounterlv.com, go to sermons, um, and it was, it was uh, about a 40-minute message, a lot of altar ministry. We had an awesome time. Um, those of you that were here and, and you came and just received an impartation of courage, raise up your hand and let me hear you. I mean, it was, wasn't it just profound, a powerful moment. You know, we have to be ready for those Kairos moments. Sometimes that means you need to be, get your butt in church too. So praise the Lord. Honor and be zealous for the, the house of God, right? And so I want to I encourage you with just a real quick recap. Last week, we talked about this year, a prophetic year, looking at what God, what do you have in store? And I believe this is a year that like Nehemiah, we're going to take risks. Last week, we talked about how Nehemiah, took a risk by even appearing sad before the king because part of his job, he was paid to be happy. It was actually illegal for Nehemiah to appear distressed in any way before the king, but he lived from the heart. Say, live from the heart. And and there's something about understanding courage is within us. When Mary, our Christmas message, when Mary said, Lord, according to your word, let it be to me. When she agreed with God's word on her life, it released the unlimited supply of courage that God had for her to live out destiny. I mean, what courage it would take for a, a young Jewish girl, a young Hebrew girl, pregnant and a virgin. I'm sure a lot of people scoffed and didn't believe her. So it was, it was courage that developed from agreeing with the word of God. So last week we talked about taking risks. We talked about having a change of perspective. We said that a change of perspective is the birthplace of initiative. This year, let it not be like some of the years past where we talk about resolutions, revolutions, and change, but let's have initiative. Most of us don't have initiative because we've got an old perspective. We're still thinking that it's impossible. We're still thinking that we're not equipped. We're still thinking that nothing will change. But when we get God's heart and God's eyes for things, we have a different perspective. We see an old messed up neighborhood with drug dealers and drug addicts as a harvest that is plentiful and ripe for the harvest and ripe. And, and God wants to give us a change of perspective so we can have initiative, the remnant to, to seek God and to do what he said, to build the wall, to bring restoration, to be repairs of the breach. And the last other thing that we talked about last week was that we are a type of Nehemiah to the world. Nehemiah means the Lord comforts. How many know that God sent the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to restore and repair our lives? And one of the reasons he does that is so that we can go and repair and be used of the Holy Spirit to restore other people's lives. And the Holy Spirit is the uncomfortable comforter. Nehemiah had to get uncomfortable in order to walk out his destiny. And some of you are like, well, I just want to, well, stop thinking about comfort. And don't think what that you know, you're going to be received everywhere you go. The Holy Spirit is the most wanted and unwanted guest of all houses. And this year might be a year of being uncomfortable, but it's what it takes to actually step out and walk in our destiny. Three things that we talked about that formed in Nehemiah's heart was that he, he began uh, to, to walk out and live a servant heart, a heart of loyalty, and a courageous heart, one that does not see risk, but sees opportunity. Now this week, I want to talk about overcoming failure. And I want to encourage you. I want, I want, to, I want you to have all these uh, changes of perspective. But I want to share with you this morning of how sometimes we live our life waiting for some 
something to happen, waiting for the right job, waiting for a bunch of money to come in, thinking, well, if I just had the money to do it, I would do this. I would start this business and this and that and that. But God wants you to understand what you're doing now is seed form of your call and destiny. So if you're not doing anything, then that's where you're going to end up in 10 years from now. Hello? So start living out your dreams by taking risks. And I believe you have to understand, like Nehemiah was, maybe it seemed insignificant that he was the cupbearer. He served at the king's table. You have to understand, you serve at the king's table. That's a big deal. His job was risky, but he also had a position of royalty. He didn't wait for some moment to where he was going to have all this authority in the land where he, he came and inquired of the king because he had access to the royal courts. Hello. The first point I want to share with you is that you are positioned as royalty. Will you say that? Say, I'm positioned as royalty. You have to get that. You have to stop thinking, oh, well, I, I, I just don't have enough education. Um, maybe, uh, you know, maybe it's like, I don't have enough favor or, you know, I'm not that type of person to do that kind of thing. Listen, if it's inside you, all it takes is some courage for you to begin to live out your destiny. God's looking for courageous people. And you have to understand you are positioned as royalty. You know, a lot of us think that that God only chooses some. We read scriptures and we, we hear these verses. Many are called, but few are chosen. And I wish I was the chosen. Oh, but I'm not because I just sit in the pew and that's what I do. I'm going to tell you something. You're chosen. Say, I'm chosen. We still live, some of us maybe were those, uh, you know, those kids at elementary school when we had, you know, two team captains for the baseball team and and you were the last one to get picked. Is is anyone out there identifying with that? I wasn't because I was so athletic. I mean, look at me. Look at my build. Praise God. When I work out, I don't even talk. I just go, bro. I walk around the gym and I don't, that's, that's all that comes. So some of us still have this mentality like, well, God has everyone lined up and he chooses some and rejects the others. There's some theology, you know, Calvinism and Reformed theology. that says, well, basically God has a bunch of people predestined for heaven. That means that there's some predestined for hell. Now, can you imagine in the life of Jesus that, that that's really what it was like? Can you imagine if that's what it was like? The Bible says that Jesus healed people. How many know that? And they're coming to him. Can you imagine? He's like, oh, no, you're not the elect. You go around this side. You ain't getting no healing. He never did that. He said, you're all going to get healed. The Bible says he healed them all. God is willing that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. So if our theology doesn't look like Jesus, then it ain't good theology. We come to these conclusions. Well, I'm the elect. You know what it means to be the elect? It means you stepped into adoption and acceptance. You're predestined because if you step into adoption and, and that acceptance, then your destiny is sure. Hello? There's a determination in the heart of God that he has a purpose for those that he has redeemed. It doesn't mean that you're predestined like before the foundation of the world that God had in his mind that only you would be saved and maybe they would make it and he knew what you were going to choose. No, that's not what it means. Hello? We have to understand God chooses you. You're elected. Everybody's, everyone's called, but the ones that are chosen are the ones that receive it. Your position as royalty. God doesn't line up a bunch of people and only pick some. The ones that step in are the ones that are chosen. Say, I'm royalty. You have access to the heavenly courts. God, he wants to fulfill 
everything that he's spoken. He has all this provision, but it doesn't happen by you waiting for him. It's like we're waiting on God to do something. God's waiting on us. Like, well, God, if you open this door, no, God's like the door's open, step into it. Sometimes we're waiting for an open door. We look and we see open doors and we just sit there thinking that what's on the other side is going to come to us, but we got to do is step through the open door. Amen. That's a really good word. Hold on a second. Let me sit up here. Come on, preach it. That's how I do when my wife preaches. We have to step in. We're royalty. Stop thinking the, the way we used to think that we're like this orphan mentality. God choose. He chose you. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 9, you're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. Hello? A holy nation. A special, peculiar people. That's you and I. Amen. Some pipe, some, sometimes we don't rise up or we don't step into this royalty because we've had uh, something disgraceful happen to us. Maybe it was... You know, maybe it was some crazy sin or something. We just walked away from God. We rebelled against God. Maybe we lived a life of drugs and, and you know, whatever, sexual addictions. And we just ran away from God or alcoholism. Or, or maybe it's the shame of some sin in the past. Listen, God wants to break shame over you. I, I want to tell you a story. It's a funny story. And then I'll tell you a more serious one. But I want to tell you one of the most embarrassing moments of my life. And I'm going to be really transparent with you. I mean, this... I don't even, now I'm not going to share it with you. Come on. Nah, nah, I'm not going to share it with you. That's how we do it in kids church. We get the crowd response, you know, you want to hear my most embarrassing? Okay. I'll tell you since you're begging me. I was about seven years old. How many know it's cold outside? It's a little warm in here too, but open that door. Let's get some cold air going. It's freezing out right now, right? It's like 20. Some of us are from some other climates, though, where it's below freezing. I'm from Denver, Colorado, and it's a little bit colder there. And it would snow there in the winter. And there was times we had like the blizzard of 82, four-foot snow. I mean, it was... But as a kid, it was a blast. How many of you have ever seen the Christmas story where they would dress that, that little man up? That's what I look like when my mom, you know, hey, go play in the snow. And I had my snow suit. It was, it was supposed to be waterproof, but I always come in soaking wet. And one year I went out and we used to dig tunnels. We would have like these big drifts of snow. And we would dig tunnels. I mean, it was, it was fun as a kid. It was like, oh yeah, you're exploring and you think you're climbing Mount Everest. And so I was on the side of my house when I was like seven years old. And, uh, and there's this big drift on the side of the house for some reason. It would like all this snow would form coming off the roof and stuff. So I'm like, this is so cool. So I'm climbing up this drift and I'm going to dig a tunnel and I have this plan. And all of a sudden that it's like literally the earth swallowed me up and I fell in this hole and, and I looked and all of a sudden these two, in my mind, I thought it was like two lions. Okay. But it was just two little kitty cats and they came and they started clawing me to death. And they're like, meow, meow. I mean, just clawing me. And I'm in my snowsuit thinking I have protection, but I feel the claws instantly. These cats are tripping because they're buried under the snow drift and they've probably been in there for a couple of days and they're just hungry and I thought they were going to eat me. I mean, I thought they were lions or tigers. They're clawing me to death and it, man, it was scary. I'm telling you, as a seven-year-old, I got beat up by two kittens. Actually, they were cats and they were both males. So I don't know if they were like homies or lovers. I, so that makes the story even worse. 
they were feminine felines and they were male cats and I got whooped by them. I walk in the house and literally my snowsuit ruined. My mom probably still has it. He says, you remember that time he got beat by two homosexual cats? No, she never said that. <laughs> Shredded, cotton sticking out. That was embarrassing. How many have ever had a very embarrassing moment? And you're like, I don't ever want to see any of these people here right now. Sometimes we live that way in our walk with God. We think, man, I went up to the altar last week. And then people are going to know I'm struggling. Like, we have to understand God wants us to rise up out of shame. Sometimes we just make excuses in order to keep us from taking that step. Excuses are lies that we tell ourselves and we actually believe them. You know, liars, people that lie a lot, like they just lie, lie, lie about everything. They start believing their own lies. Well, we do the same thing with our excuses. We start making all these excuses. Well, I don't have the right job. I don't have this. You're royalty. Stop making excuses. And, and rise up out of the things that, that maybe makes you think that you're the victim in every relationship, in every situation. You may have been the victim in the past. And you know what? God restores. God heals. We don't want to belittle that at all. But we want you to understand that when you identified with Jesus, you are no longer the victim. You're victorious. When he was crucified and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Guess what happened? The, dis- the disarming of the principalities and powers. Every demon in hell was literally de-gummed and, or detoothed at that moment. No longer did the, the, the roaring line of the enemy have claws the way he did before that moment. You're not the victim. See, that victim mentality, we, we come up with these excuses. Well, you know, this happened and that happened. And the reason I can't do this, see, we have to, I don't, I'm not educated enough. I used to use that excuse all the time. Well, I probably can't do this. And, you know, uh, I, you know I, I haven't been to Bible college. Well, I'm not anointed for that ministry. I remember when somebody asked me to do kids church. I'm like, I'm not doing kids church. I don't really like kids. I'm called to preach to people. <laughs> like they're not. When the first thing that Jesus told Peter, when he said, if you love me, feed my lambs. It's a different word in the Greek. It's not sheep, it's lambs. It's the little ones. God loves the children. And I went and we started serving in kids church and I started getting a heart for the kids. I started getting God's heart for the kids. You know what happens when you say something like I'm not anointed enough? Well, first of all, the anointed one lives in you. So throw that out the door. Secondly, when you get God's heart for something, you get the anointing for that ministry. I started realizing how precious these kids were and how powerful it was and how receptive. They were way more receptive than the youth and the adults. I mean, it was awesome. Our first time ministering, when we got to lead the service, kids were getting filled with the Holy Spirit. I remember this. Remember that one kid comes up and he was, he was like the little Johnny. He was like the rejected one. You could just see it on him. He, he responded to that altar call and he runs up with his hands raised and he's speaking in tongues and crying his eyes out. I'm like, this is revival. Kids church is awesome. I got God's heart for that ministry. So no longer could I make the excuse while I'm not anointed enough. Oh, I'm not called to that. And we're not all called to everything. But when we get God's heart for something, we get the anointing. I want to share a verse with you. 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. I've heard this preached in different contexts where some will try to use this verse and think, well, I don't need a teacher to teach me because I have the anointing. That's not what this verse is talking about. Let me read it to you and then we'll discuss it. 1 John two twenty-seven. But the anointing that you have received 
from him abides in you. And you don't need anyone to teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. Now, if John actually believed what some people take this verse out of context and say, well, that means I don't need a teacher. Let me just, let me just reveal to you that's not what it's saying. Because if he believed that, that would discount the whole letter that he was writing to Christians, first of all. Secondly, it would discount Ephesians chapter 4, that Jesus' gifts to the church were the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teachers. 1 Corinthians talks about the order of the church, first apostles and prophets and teachers. Actually, in the row of being third in rank, he only ranks those three, and then the rest he lists as different graces in the body, prayer and all these different things, administration. And, but it's interesting to me, this verse, I want you to understand what it's saying. He's writing to the church that is in opposition. He's saying, don't make excuses. The anointing is teaching you. The anointing want, the anointing and his uh, or the anointed one and his anointing abides in you. In other words, later on, he tells them, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Stop making excuses. The anointing is changing your heart and changing the way you think. All throughout scripture, the anointing. You remember the, the story of Saul when he was anointed. It says that he started prophesying like the prophets. Why? Because the anointing changed his heart and his mind. You become like God. You, be, you start thinking like God. Understand that you cannot make any more excuses. I love this part of the scripture we read in Nehemiah 2. It says, let us rebuild the wall, rid ourselves of this disgrace. And I told them how the hand of God had been upon me. Look what he says here. And about my conversation with the king. Are you having a conversation with the king and hearing what the king is saying? Or are you still living in the past of excuses and failures and defeat? But when you understand the anointing comes when my heart is pointed in the direction of a need, then God's power. Three things happen when, you, when, when you're anointed. It changes your heart, power flows, and there's a tangible effect on people's lives. Will you say this with me? Say, the anointing changes our hearts, releases power, and has a tangible change and effect on people. Number three, we must rise up. We have to rise up with God's heart, rise up out of defeat. Let me tell you a little more serious story that um, this is something my wife has shared from the pulpit, but my wife and I have been married 13 plus years. Hallelujah. And I love my bride. And, you know, we, um, man, we've just grown so much in our 13 years of marriage, in the Lord, in our marriage. And, but when we first got together, we found love real quick. I mean, we were just in love like overnight. You remember that? Remember one kiss, baby? That's all token. You love me? No, I'm just <laughs> We fell in love so fast and there was way too much chemistry. And I wish we'd have set these boundaries, but before we got married, we found out that she was pregnant 13 years ago. Now I was a Christian, right? I walk with God, but I, I didn't have boundaries and, and I, and, and we made a mistake. Now, to me, I knew I was called to ministry. I want you to understand, I, I, I figured it was, I blew it. How can I minister now? I thought that. I told my wife, I told at the time as my fiance, I'm like, I'll never be able to preach. And part of that was my pride. Like, you know, sometimes shame is all just rooted in pride. 
because we're still afraid what people are going to think. Shame, embarrassment. You know, I got clawed by homosexual cats. If, if, you, if I can survive that, you can survive what you've been through. Amen. But this is a more serious story where I literally felt like, oh, God, I'm never going to be able to minister again. How am I going to be able to? I, I remember these moments in God. I remember when the preacher would quote Proverbs 4, uh, 24, 16, the godly may trip seven times and rise again. You know, that verse was my life verse because I kept falling. And I quote that verse. I'm like, but I'm going to get up. You know, the godly ones are the ones that get up. The ones that aren't godly, the ones that stay down. Because when you stay down, you don't understand the God that you serve. Your godliness is when you point your heart back at heaven and say, God, I can do this. Or the verse in, in Micah 7, 8, Don't rejoice over me, my enemy. When I fall, I will arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Out of defeat, I remember so many moments of struggling. I got saved when I was 17. And my body was still craving things. I still wanted to party a little bit. And God set me free from that. And, and you know, God setting me free. But I remember these moments at the altar where I would come. And I, and I realized that God actually loved me and he wasn't mad at me. And then he would just pick me up and dust me off. And he would cleanse me. And I knew that when he cleansed me, that he washed me thoroughly from my iniquity, like it says in Psalm 51. I knew that he literally forgot my sin. Those moments are the moments that helps me or, or helps me in throughout my growth where I would rise again if, if something in, in somehow I felt like I failed. I want you to hear. I want you to hear the voice of the Lord. Rise up out of defeat. Rise up out of shame. Some people live with this stuff and they don't realize it. They might not struggle with sin, but they don't pray like they used to pray. Because in their conscience, they have this feeling and they think that, well, that was before this happened to me. But I want you to hear God's voice saying, it's as if it never happened. If you've turned your heart and you've given your life to him and he washes you, he forgets your sin. Do you understand that? Like it's, like it's, it's never happened. Like it's never, and you're like, oh Lord, help me with this thing that happened. God's like, what are you talking about? God has a perfect forgetter. Think about that for a minute. You can't forget God has a perfect, he sovereignly literally wipes it from his own memory. Oh, that's amazing. Now, if we could just do that with people that hurt us too, we'd be doing real good. But you know, the more I point my heart at his heart, I actually forget how people hurt me. I mean, literally, I've had people come to me two years later after something. I'm so sorry that one time I'm like, oh, I don't even remember what you're talking about. Literally, I don't remember. I don't remember. Because the anointed one changes my heart. Because I'm being transformed from glory to glory, from faith to faith. I'm realizing that I'm royalty. I'm not making excuses anymore. I'm having a conversation with the king, realizing that his hand is strong upon me. And I can build, and I can restore, and I can rise up out of defeat. How many want to rise up out of defeat? How many want to rise up out of failure? Rise up in this courageous army. And just, I mean, I love that clip that Chris put up there. Just 20 seconds of courage and something amazing will happen. Some people have dreams in them and they just haven't had the courage to get them to step out. And that's all it takes. For years, there's been things buried in some of us. And because of failure and defeat, we think, I will never be able to do that. I want to read just a few more or two more verses out of this text and then we're going to close. Verse 19 of Nehemiah chapter 2. 
But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, somebody's calling me. Should I answer it? It's the bug guy. He's, he's calling to say, I'm going to be at your house tomorrow. Hold on. Hello? Hey, bro. No. He, they went to voicemail before I got to answer it. I'm so distracted. Not as bad as Chris, though. Squirrel! Verse 19 of Nehemiah 2. When Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing rebelling against the king like this, they asked. Listen, hear me. God, God wants you to rise above the laughter of the enemy and the, the scoffing of the enemy in your past. He wants you to rise above that and understand that you hashed by the king. Verse 20, but I replied, listen to what he does. He doesn't even go, he doesn't even mess with the fact that they were saying what they were saying. He doesn't even try to address and explain himself and defend himself. He says this, he says, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants will start rebuilding this wall, but you have no stake or claim in Jerusalem. In other words, my feet are possessing this land now and you're not in charge anymore, but I'm commissioned by the king. I want you to stand up with me as we close. I want to pray these things in you. I want to stir up courage in you. I want, I want you to rise above any embarrassing or shameful or moment of the past. I want to pray that, that you would have this revelation that God remembers your sin no more. That he wants to completely wipe it away from your thoughts so that you stop living in the past. You stop living in failure and defeat. Remember those moments and don't ever, don't ever forget those moments where you come and he cleanses you. And you live in that place of the outflow of the blood of, the, of the blood of Jesus. Listen, when you surrender to the kingdom, you're letting love reign over your life. When you let love reign over your life, there's no room for shame or defeat. I want you to lift your hands and pray with me. And I'm going to read a verse over you. I'm going to proclaim a verse over you. I want you to lift your hands right now and just begin to pray. If you pray in the Spirit, just pray in the Holy Spirit. Open your heart. Say, God, I want to rise up. I'm royalty. I'm not going to make excuses anymore. I'm rising up with your heart. I'm going to build. I'm going to do what you've created me to do, Lord. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I'm going to read two verses to you out of Joel chapter 2, verses... 25 and 26 in just a moment. But lift your hands and just pray this with me. Say, Father in heaven, thank you that I'm positioned right now as royalty. I'm not waiting for something to happen. I'm stepping through the door that you've opened. I thank you that I'm hearing your voice and what you say about me. And I won't make excuses anymore but I'll hear what you're saying. I'll rise up out of discouragement, shame, failure, past defeat. I'm new. I'm cleansed. I'm forgiven. And I'm free in Jesus' name. Now lift both hands and I want to just declare this word over you. This is something that Pastor Chris read last week and I want to just declare it again. It just seals what God is saying right now. This is what God says, a promise to his people. He says, so I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the crawling locusts, the consuming locusts, and the chewing locusts with my great army, which I sent 
among you. I want you to hear this. Every type of locust, every type of bad thing that's happened, every type of defeat, whether it was sin or whether it was sickness, or God says, I'm going to restore everything that the enemy has taken from you. Then here's what he says. This is so powerful. Verse 26. You will eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And here, listen, listen, receive this. And my people will never be put to shame. Lord, we break shame off of every life. We break unworthiness off of every life. I want to do this right now. I want to just, we're going to dismiss those that want to be dismissed, but I want those that feel like, you know what? I'm giving my heart to Jesus 100%. I'm, I'm going to just completely, Lord, I'm not making any more excuses. And I'm going to start. Listen, the, the, the birthplace of the initiative of Nehemiah started in humility. Hello? The birthplace of this initiative started when he humbled himself. And he just, he just completely said, God, God, we need you. We turn to you. We've messed up. We turn back to you. I want those of you that, that feel like, you know what? I, I can identify with the shame, the embarrassment. I can identify with living in excuses. I can identify with maybe feeling like I don't pray like I used to pray. I want to worship like I used to worship, God. That passion, that fire. Listen, don't look back. Look forward. God has a greater level of glory and passion and fire for you if you want it. Just turn your heart to him. I want you to, with your eyes closed, everyone in this close in this place, close your eyes for just a moment and just slip up your hand now and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I need that. I need that stuff to be broken over my life. Lift your hands up high. Say, that's me. Please pray for me. Just take your time. Lift your hand and respond. And just respond. Say, I want to rise up out of defeat. I want to rise up. Maybe you feel like you backslid and it took such a toll on you. You feel like you'll never be restored the way it used to be. Listen, that's a lie. Raise up your hand and say, I want, I want to be restored. I want to be restored. I want to know I'm royalty again. I want to know I'm daddies. I step in. I step in. I want those of you that raise your hand without any shame. Without any shame. Because there is none. Come to this altar right now. And as you're coming, it's you stepping forward and saying, I'm running to the king to hear what he has to say. I'm running to position myself in humility because I'm royalty. Because I want to do what God created me to do. I want to step into my destiny. I want to rise up out of past failure, defeat, and sin, and shame, and condemnation. It's broken now in Jesus' name. But you are chosen generation. Come. And receive restoration of everything the enemy has stolen from you. No more shame. No more discouragement. There's a courageous army rising up. I'm hearing what you're saying about my life, Lord. I can hear you saying, rise up. I can hear you saying that your hand is strong upon me. I remember when I was just learning how God loved me. I was so discouraged after the first time I taught because some sister said, Zach, you have a good heart, but you're not called to minister or teach. I was crushed with discouragement. I remember struggling with that. I could barely read when I got saved. 
I could barely read. Literally, I sounded like a, a five-year-old trying to read. I could barely read. And this lady crushed me with discouragement. And I thought to myself, I'm never going to be able, I feel called to preach. How am I going to do this, God? How am I going to do this? And one day I was driving. One day I was driving and I, I had a vision, an inward vision. I felt the Spirit of God just come over me. And I saw Jesus anointing me in heaven. And he said, I have ordained you. I've appointed you. And I could just feel him raising me up. I could just feel him. I'm identifying this with this story. Nehemiah says, the hand of God is upon me. Those of you that have come forward, listen, hear me. The hand of God is upon you. So rise up and do what he created you to do. You will succeed. You will prosper. He will bless you. The provisions will be there. He's looking for you to step through the door. So we humble ourselves and we come and we say, Oh, Father, we receive it. Lift, your, lift both hands right now.